Hello and welcome to From Paper to Podium, the new podcast from Science in Sport. I'm Charlie Webster and I'm joined by my co-host, Professor James Morton. In each episode, James and I delve into a subject within sports and nutrition with an athlete and an expert so that we can share their secrets to success. Science in Sport is the world's leading endurance nutrition brand, and this podcast lets you in on conversations with some of the world's greatest sportsmen and women. This is a soccer special, so we're going to be speaking to Manchester United players Harry Maguire, Luke Shaw and Lee Grant all about their nutrition and training to see how they prep for their matches. Let's start with Harry. Harry, before I ask you loads of nutrition questions, I have to say that I'm from Sheffield as well. I'm actually sat in a hotel room in Sheffield right now. I'd love to know how much that has shaped you and your style of play, especially coming through the Sheffield United youth system. This is a very loaded question because I'm also a Sheffield United fan. Well, that's <laughs> nice to hear. Um, yeah, obviously, I, I love my time at Sheffield United, coming through that youth system. And I was a back, back a centre mid back, back then, so probably did definitely help in terms of being able to step out with the ball and be comfortable on the ball. So, no, I'm forever grateful for what that, that club did to me, giving my debut in, in, in the Football League. And, um, yeah, I'm really pleased where, where the club's gone. Obviously, I'm really disappointed with, with how it's gone this year for them, but I'm sure they'll be back. And what about being from Sheffield? Yeah, it's a, it's a, I, I love the city. Um, all my family and friends are still living there. I'm pretty sure when I finish my football, I will go back to um, Sheffield and, and and live there too. I've still got a house there. I visit there a lot, and yeah, I, I really enjoy the city. I think it's a it's a great working class city, and uh, the people are really friendly too. So, I wondered if you could paint a picture for us of what it's like 24 hours before a match. Yeah, so obviously 24 hours before a match, that's when you the the nutrition, the, the recovery. You've got you should be feeling fresh. Your legs should be feeling fresh. Um, but then it's it's more about yeah, getting good sleep, good nutrition, eating well, um, making sure you get enough carbs. Obviously, making sure you're hydrated as well, and um, really just preparing for the game to to make sure that when you go into the game, it's all about how much energy and how alert and how much focus you can have for the game so everything you do even if it's one percent it all adds up so in terms of sports science that's called like match day minus one how how key is that to you in terms of fueling yeah i, I think when we speak to our nutritionists and um the the sports science team match day minus one is the most important day there's a lot of foods out there what what take a while to, to go through the system and 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 when the most effective. So yeah, they say for sure, I think the late meal on the, that night is an important one where you, you, you have to make sure you're eating the right things to, to prepare for, for a tough, always, I always think prepare for the toughest game possible. Prepare for, if you're playing in the cup, prepare that it's going to go to extra time and prepare that you're going to have to play 120 minutes and make sure you feel up well enough. Yeah. So do you adapt that then to your fuel and what, what does that look like? What's your pre-match meal? Yeah, so the night before, generally, I, I, I like a, a pasta dish. It's generally lasagna. I'm a big fan of that. So I have that with a um, bit of vegetables and, and a meat, maybe probably normally chicken. And my pre-match meal is generally always eggs on toast and a bowl of porridge. So that's what it's been at the minute. Yeah, it's a bit boring, a bit breakfast style. But I'm not one of those who, if I changed it up, it wouldn't be. I wouldn't be too fussed about it as long as I got the right food in in terms of carbohydrates. How important is it to you then? Do you notice a difference in how you feel and how you play then if you haven't got enough carbs and you haven't done it right? 
Yeah, definitely, I feel, especially when you're coming towards the second half and you've had that little bit of a break at half-time. Even at half-time, if you don't feel up right with the correct drinks or the gels, um, I feel like you can go into the second half and you, and you focus and sometimes you, you, you don't feel as strong or you feel sometimes weak and the energy isn't there. You feel like you need a little bit of, bit, bit of a boost of sugar. So, yeah, for sure, I think it's, it's so important that you need to make sure you have the right levels. Obviously, you don't want to be overdoing it and having too much and, and, and feeling sluggish and heavy, but you need to make sure you get the balance right. And I think most footballers will say that's really important nowadays. How much have things changed over the years in terms of sports, nutrition and science since you started the game? Yeah, it's absolutely massive. I think from when I started the game, it's grown so much. But I think if you go and speak to ex-pros who was playing 20 years ago, 15 years ago, it's, it's developed ridiculously amounts. And I think it still will develop. I, at the moment, I look at it and I think, where can it go? But I'm sure in 10 years' time, we'll be looking and think, wow, that was never there. So, yeah, it's going to keep developing. It's such an important part of the game. Recovery. Recovery is such an important part of it. And nutrition, sleep, for me, that's the two biggest parts. Well, you mentioning, actually, you said about like the games coming thick and fast. What's the difference like in terms of domestic and then the international, well, England setup? And especially given like to- international tournaments, they have so many more games. Do you have to kind of adapt? Is the setup different? Yeah, definitely. I think um, in terms of nutrition wise, I think when you've got a game Saturday to Saturday and you don't have that midweek game, maybe you can go a couple of a day's couple of days low on the carbs and you can watch your weight and balance your weight and, and and work on things like that in terms of whether you want to put a little bit of muscle on in the gym and things but tournament mode you, you don't have time for that you end you, you just got to refuel and you, you've got to fill your body with good things and what one thing what i will say is that when you are in a tournament you're in an hotel so and for England, we, we have a top chef and um, they look after you really well and they, they put on foods. What they feel for that day would be the correct food. So, um, yeah, you get looked after really well in a tournament. It's interesting. You just said about weight and about maybe putting some more muscle on. And a lot in this podcast um, we've talked in the past. I mean, we had Carl Frampton on. We've had various different professional cyclists and they've talked a lot about weight management. Is that something that comes into football? Yeah, definitely. I think in any athlete, I think weight management's big. I think if you spoke to every footballer and you said to them, you don't know, you don't watch your weight, I think they, they wouldn't be telling the truth. I think for sure, match day minus one, minus two, um, the day after a match, you're always trying to refuel. But if you get if you can get any days in between where you can, like I say, you can cut back on the carbs or really like weight manage, make sure that you're not creeping up because if the game and game and you're carb loading you're carb loading you can find yourself creeping up but it's really important that you you don't do that during a season you've got to maintain a, a weight which gives you the best opportunity to go and perform well how important is that then on the pitch you know you said it gives you the best opportunity to perform well what about in your own personal terms what difference does it make to you yeah, I think it's really important. I think first and foremost, it's it's good for your mentality. I think mentally, you've got to go into a game if you if you feel good within yourself in terms of the weight and the food what you've had and the focus and the concentration. If you feel good, you, you you're generally playing good. So yeah, I think I think it's such an important part of the game that you've got to make sure that you like I say you're fueled up, but you also feel good as well. That you feel sharp and and not sluggish. We talked a little bit about how things have changed over the years and I think, you know, us as fans and the listeners can see how much football's changed. What about in terms of 
culture and attitude towards nutrition because you know we used to hear back in the day about what footballers used to eat and that seems to have changed so much and also like what what's the most important thing for you that you've learned yeah I think I think that's a big part what you just said I think the culture I think the culture of football now has just evolved and I think it like I say I think it will keep evolving but yeah it's just part of the game now nutrition is a big big part of football um probably 10 15 20 years ago I don't know how far you want to go back it probably was there, but you probably got 20% of players doing it and the other 20 not and 50 not too bothered or whatsoever. So it's definitely a big part of the game. I think, like you say, it's just the culture in football now, especially I'm obviously playing at a top, top club, one of the biggest clubs in the world. So I can only go off this. I'm sure further down your leagues, of course, there's going to be a large number of players um, buying into nutrition and building and trying to get that little bit of an advantage on the opposition but I'm sure if you go down the leagues there will be some other players who also may not yeah may see it as like a periphery to to what they're doing on the pitch what's the most important thing you've learned what do you what do you take with you yeah the 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 most important thing I've learned learned is just to to I think like to weight manage and, and to find um a weight where um you feel good, you feel energy, you feel sharp, you feel like you're focused, you can concentrate for a full 90 minutes, but also that you, you don't feel sluggish and you maintain with that weight for a season. Because like I say, when you've got game after game, it's easy to, to keep creeping up a little bit, a little bit every now and then. And then you find yourself and you don't feel as good in yourself. So yeah, for sure, I think weight management is a big part of the game. And I think if you spoke to most, especially players in in Manchester United Football Club, they, they will all tell you that they all have maybe one or two kg that they fluctuate behind. But if they go above that, they um, they want to get it off. <laughs> um, I was actually up at Old Trafford not that long ago and I was talking to, obviously, for, like legend former captain Brian Robson and he was talking a little bit about you and I know you kind of have a relationship. How important is it? He was talking about how he feels like it's important to be a captain for those that are in those centre roles um, to be able to dictate on the pitch. But I know you do so much work behind the scenes in your captain role. How important is it to set good examples in terms of nutrition for the rest of the players as well? Is that something that's active for you? Yeah, definitely. I think um, when I come to this club, you can see the culture change from this club to Leicester and then Leicester to Hull. And you can see... The, the way people work and the mentality of players. So for sure, I think it, it filters down. One's, one's eating well and another one will, will follow and he'll look at him eating well and he'll not want him to... We're competitive, so he'll not want to, to fall behind in any slight advantage, even if it's, like I say, 1% or 0.5%, whatever it is. They all add up and these little margins are so important. And um, yeah, I think, like you say, I have a I have a good relationship with Brian Robson. Um, unfortunately, through the pandemic, I haven't seen him. Um, so I'm looking forward to when this is over, having another good chat with him and picking his brains on a lot of things. And um, yeah, I'm sure he'll probably mention nutrition in, in one of the topics too. Yeah. What would your advice be to any maybe younger footballers, but also Sunday league footballers in terms of what they can do to improve their game yeah the advice is for me is always try and get that little edge on your opponent that's what we that's why we play football that's why we train every day 
it all matters when you go into the football pitch. So if you're eating better than your opponent, you've also you've already got that little bit of an edge. And that's how I see it. I see it as everything I do is competitive. I want to be better than my opponent. And if that gives me that little bit extra, um, I think it's the same for anybody who plays any sport, whether it's um, in the Premier League, League One, or if it's Sunday League, you always, I know Sunday League players, I have a lot of friends who are Sunday League players, and, and trust me, when they go on that pitch, they they want to win as well. So it just so it's so important. And if you can get that, that, that advantage, that little bit of an edge, that gives you the, the opportunity to go and win the football match, it, it's, it's worth it. James, you're going to be our expert for this one, if that's all right. Harry seems well-educated on match day minus one. Nutritionists at Manchester United have communicated that this is the most important day for fueling carbohydrate requirements. So could you tell us how much you do need and why? And maybe what types of foods are beneficial? Yeah, certainly. Uh, I thought it was great, actually, that Harry was quite uh, vocal with match day minus one right from the outset. It's probably a term that many of our listeners who aren't in the professional game have heard of before. But match day minus one is effectively the day before the game. And I think in the olden days, Charlie, most footballers were preoccupied with the pre-match meal. But actually match day minus one is far more important in terms of performance for match day itself. And really it's about loading your muscle with glycogen. It's about consuming sufficient carbohydrate so that you start the match fully fueled. Now, when it comes to foods and quantities, the the textbook advice, and we always give numbers in this podcast, but the numbers is probably between six to eight grams per kilogram body mass. So for a 75 kilogram player, that usually equates to about 600 grams of carbohydrate. And the foods really that players should be consuming on match day minus one are the usual suspects. It's cereals and breads and energy bars, energy drinks, rice, pasta, potatoes, some desserts. It's definitely okay to have desserts on a match day minus one. That's good news. (laughs) (laughs) So we we would certainly be advising things like rice pudding, desserts, apple crumble, um, banana bread, banana loaf, anything that that really encourages players to consume that carbohydrate quantity. Got a quick rice pudding story for you. I used to eat rice pudding the night before every race because I think I won my first race. This is when I was a junior runner after I'd eaten some rice pudding. So I was doing it right. Yes. I was match day minus one <laughs> before anybody else was. <laughs> and Harry also specifically referenced the role of carbohydrate and the difference it can make in his second half performance if he hasn't fueled well the day before at half time. Why is this happening? Is it because he's running out of fuel stores? Yeah, that's essentially it. That's that's exactly what's happening is if you haven't loaded correctly the day before, then when you start the match, you're, you're kind of starting the game with suboptimal fuel stores. And, and what happens during a 90-minute game of football is that even at half-time, some of our muscle fibres start to become empty. And then in the second half, some of those muscle fibres can become completely depleted. I mean, I don't want to get too sciencey here for the listeners, but just to put it into context... And for me, <laughs> um, mainly. We, we typically have two types of muscle fibres, type 1 and type 2. And type 2 fibres are fibres that are responsible for sprinting and high-intensity actions. Now, from around 60 to 70 minutes in, some of those type 2 fibres could become completely empty of glycogen, and yet they're the fibres that make a sprint. So if you've started the game with suboptimal stores to start with, when you get into the second half, it's very, very likely that you just can't sprint anymore. And so Harry, Harry actually called that out. Charlie, he specifically said that 
he notices the difference that it makes to his performance in the second half. And there's been lots of science over the years to back that up. Is that like fast and slow twitch muscles? That's exactly what it it is. One and two, right? Yeah, fast twitch fibers are type two, and slow twitch fibers are known what we would call type one fibers. Harry also discussed striking the balance between fueling and weight management and also about how he manipulates carbohydrates. We have touched on this before in previous episodes related to the theme of carbohydrate periodization. I think we said that really early on, didn't we, in our episodes. Can you pick this up from a scientific perspective for what that means for a footballer? Yeah, no, I was was really great to hear Harry talk about that actually because, I mean, I've spent the last 10 years of my own career personally trying to promote that message. And effectively what it means is when we come back to that concept of fueling for the work required. And so on a match day minus one, you're effectively fueling for the next day. So you're fueling for match day. But during um, other periods of the week, like a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday, the total distance covered in the training sessions is nowhere near as what it is on a match day. So players then consume less carbohydrate because otherwise they would be overfueling they would run the risk of putting on weight. And many team sports now, many football clubs operate what we would call a traffic light system in that some days are green days. They're your days for high carbohydrate. Some days are amber days. They're your medium carb days. And some days are your red days. They're your low carb days. And most most professional football teams now that I see are actually operating that traffic light system of carbohydrate periodization. Look, James, one of the big things that Harry did talk about was the culture change. So what is it like from a scientist's point of view? The culture for sports science and, and the sports scientist's point of view has also changed massively. I guess one of the best ways to illustrate that actually is, is when I first started working at Liverpool Football Club back in 2010, I was effectively working on a consultancy basis two days per week. I was responsible for looking after the first team as well as the academy. So that's that's over 100 players. Nowadays in 2021, most clubs have at least one full-time nutritionist for the first team, maybe even two or three, as well as full-time nutritionists in the academy system itself. So actually, in terms of employment status alone, nutrition has been given much more recognition. Um, and a lot of these nutritionists now travel with the squads, home and away, they're traveling. They're looking after all of those little details. Um, Many clubs would partner with industry experts like science and sport, as an example. We now supply over 150 clubs worldwide. Um, In many situations, we make bespoke products that aren't even commercially available. So Harry's absolutely right. Nutrition has changed massively. And from the sports scientist point of view, I think our messages are now being heard better than what they've ever been heard before. I often say to some of the students that I teach that there's never been a better time to be a sports scientist. I feel like it's now become a priority rather than an afterthought. Thanks, James. Let's move on because I'm really interested to hear from Luke Shaw as he had that long period out from injury. So let's head over to Luke. So Luke, how's your attitude towards nutrition changed over the years? I bet bet it's quite significant. Yeah, massively. I think I've just learned my body really. I think especially nutrition when I was younger was a lot different to how it is now. I think when I, when I was a bit younger, I think maybe I could get away with certain things, what, what I ate and what I was putting into my body. But I think as you grow up and you grow into your body and, you know, you, you, you're getting older, I think you need to look at nutrition in a different way and you realise how important it actually is, especially for, for professional footballers, for, for any athletes. I think 
you need a good nutrition because you know you need to feed that energy you need to you need to feel good and I think yeah especially over the years I've learned a lot about nutrition and how important it it really is to to athletes that are, that are very active. Is there anything more specific that you've learned since your career's progressed? No, not not really. I think, of course, you have to stay healthy. Um, like I said, is within the fact we, with our sport, I think it's so important to to have a healthy diet, to, to especially when you're staying active, because you know you can feel the difference, and I think you feel the benefits, especially when when you're eating well, and you know you sort of feel like everything's going in the right direction you feel better you you even feel more confident of course it has nothing to do with you know eating but I think in yourself you feel better from it um you can see the changes in in your body and also you know with the energy the energies and and stuff you get from from the right foods and I think you know like you said and like I said the the, the change I've had I, I felt that a lot and I think you know especially now at this time I'm sort of coming nearer to my peak I think I need to be in in top condition and I think a healthy diet the right diet is is the right way for that it's interesting because doing that even though you know it actually does affect how you feel and how you approach things mentally oh uh, yeah, no nah, honestly mentally it's it's massive I think you know a lot of people in sport I know we're talking about nutrition but I think of course I said nutrition is a massive part but also mentally I think for yourself for, for how you feel is 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 just as important I think you know like I said just just then I think if you're eating well and, and you're feeling the benefits from it I think mentally you're in a brilliant place because you're feeling really good I think you wake up in the morning I don't know you train you train really hard you and then after that you eat a, a good meal I think you know leading on into the day you're, you're feeling great great from it and you know I think yeah mentally it's it's a massive part of the game that you know if you're feeling good like I've always said if you feel good then everything else is is great. Hmm. What do you do in the dressing room then half an hour before can you talk us through your pre-match routine nutritionally but the other bits as well? Yeah I think um, pre-match I always have the same I know that's a few hours before but pre-match I always have the same the same pre-match I don't know why I'm just always like that every I, I always have sort of the same routine before a match I would say is that, quite, is that part many, mentally do yeah, you think yeah, as well part, yeah I think I'm quite it's like you do it different oh my god something's nah, gonna yeah, happen <laughs> yeah actually it's like that I'm quite superstitious like the day of the game um so yeah I, I obviously have the same pre-match but then when I get to the ground and we're there I'll have um I'll have some hydration tablets put put some of them in the water I like to have my gels. Um, I have some gels before, some energy gels before the the game, and I don't really drink coffee or anything. So I need to like find some way to get some caffe- um, caffeine in me. So I have um, we've got some like little ca- uh, caffeine chewing gums. So I have I have one of them before we go out for the warm up, and then yeah, no, that's what I have. I have a couple hydration drinks, put some tablets in there, and then um, a couple gels. What's the pre-match meal then that you always have? You said a couple of hours before that you have the same thing every time. I think <laughs> Harry said he had like scrambled eggs or something. It's literally so simple. I literally just have like two pieces of chicken and then some pasta with bolognese. So I always, I always have that. I, I don't think I'll ever change either. Sounds all right to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what happens at halftime then? What do you do? And what's have you found that the nutritional approach has changed a lot? It's it's very much changed now, and I think it's obviously changing for the better. And 
you know, everyone's, you know, quite sort of steady with now with, with, with what they have. But at halftime, I, I have obviously a drink. I'll have a hydration tablet again, maybe just half a bottle this time. And then probably another an, another caffeine chewing gum before I go back out. I don't think I, I need any more caffeine, but it's just because my superstition. I just I've had the same stuff, so I just I just carry on with that and and do that. I love that. You, you can see the order I'm taking you through now. Because then, what about recovery? How do players recover these days, especially when? I mean, recently the schedule's been so tight with those Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday games. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it, it depends sometimes. They're really they're really good here at United with, with making sure we recover right and recover in the right way to, to do everything possible, that we're all fresh for the next game. And uh, we always have a shake after the game, um, like a protein shake. And um, of course, most important is, is a nice bath. I think after an intense, you know, 90 minutes, you see a lot of the lads in the ice bath and, you know, recovering in the right way to get ready as soon as possible. Yeah, I think ice baths make, I do quite a lot of endurance running and ice baths, I think I completely feel the difference whether you wake up the next morning really aching or not. Yeah, 100%. I think they're very hard to get into at first. You just got to fight through the first like one minute. And then when you're through the one minute, I think you definitely feel the benefits because they're really good. And, you know, I use them before we play as well, just to make sure I'm getting the, the right recovery in and making sure I feel well, to be fair, I can't remember the last time I felt 100% before a game. And I think everyone's like that. But yeah, it helps you recover so well. And I, I always feel the benefits from using a nice bath. So do you think you you ever feel 100% before a game? Do you think that's also mentally too? No, I, do, I, I think just the game's different now. And I think, I reckon if you asked most players, I think not many will say they feel 100% before a game. I just think it's just the way it is and the way we're functioned that like it, it don't even matter if we're 100 percent. i think you know we, we just play and we get on with it we can have tablets we can take this you know what i mean for, for anything but i just think it's the way the game is i don't think many people feel feel 100 nowadays going into into a match but it's normal yeah there's not a lot of recovery time is is there and i think anybody even before like a race it's hard to feel 100% all the time in that sense. For yourself, I mean, a lot of fans are really glad to see you back because you've had that long-term injury. What was it like for you and how hard was it in terms of staying on the right path, especially when it's monotonous day in and day out in that process of coming back from an injury and especially from a diet point of view? Yeah, it was it, it was very tough, especially when I had the, the long time out. You could only do certain things and, you know, Day in, day out, it, it kind of got tough at some point. I think mentally, we spoke about that earlier, it was it was quite hard to to stick to the same thing. And, you know, I think a couple of times I had a blowout, you know, with my nutrition. But, you know, I think especially when I started being a bit more active and, you know, doing stuff on the bike, doing, you know, starting running outside, I think nutrition-wise, you have to really, you know, up, up that and, you know, be in a good sort of space of, of what you're, you're taking in and and yeah like, like I said it's, it was important at that time especially when you know I'm, I'm active and I'm running and you know not to be not to be heavy to be in good shape to make sure that I can do everything possible to to not get re-injured and, and to come back in in, in the right way. Mm, I'm not surprised you had a blowout I think it must be really frustrating and mentally really tough what do you think helped you the most during that time? Yeah no it was really hard just because I was doing the same stuff 
day in, day out. And it was just, you know, coming to the same place, seeing the same people, obviously watching the lads go out train and play. And, you know, it was really tough. But I think what helped me was to get back, really, to see, you know, obviously, like I said, the lads training, the lads playing, just uh, that was my motivation to to come back fit and just to look at that as, you know, that was sort of my goal was to get back fit and to be back playing, enjoying what I what I love to do. And, you know, I think that's what really helped me, especially when, you know, I was struggling at times to, but, you know, I always looked at that to, to, to be back and, and doing what I, what I love the most. Yeah, having that focus. What do you think were the factors that led you to come back so strong? Because you have come back so strong. <laughs> I don't know. Like I said, of course, I said earlier, I know it's, you've heard it probably a lot, but like mentally, I think a, a lot of that is, is a big part of it. I think feeling confident is, is massive in, in this game, believing in yourself. And I think, you know, I've just had the help of, of both from, especially like I said, my manager within Oli and he's just, you know, keeps pushing me each day to, to get the best out of myself. And I feel like I'm doing that. And, I still obviously want to improve because I still feel like I'm quite young that I can still get better and um and that's what I want to do keep pushing myself make sure I keep on the right track and of course make sure nutrition is is a high part of that and and playing its way that you know I'm eating well and and feeling good I think yeah it's a combination of those things and they like intersect and interfere into each other how important is a nutritionist at those times did you work with one yeah of course you have to work one there's there's no hiding there and I think we've got one at the <laughs> club anyway so he was always he was always on to me he always helped me um we obviously get tested with you know our weight and you know our body fats so um they're always keeping on top of that making sure that we're not going over the board I think at times they let you go over the board because they know how 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 you're feeling but I think yeah the nutrition is massive especially at football clubs, I'm sure, and I would like to hope that every club has one because they're very important for for us to get advice. And I feel like they they know what's best. Of course, it's our body, but they can only give certain advice and certain things that they think that that you need to to help you to to get to the, the top. Finally, Lou, for anybody listening, what's the most important thing you think you've learned? It can be about anything, really. It can be a bit about nutrition or or where you are at the moment over this last period and especially coming through injury? I think, of course, take, taking advice of of certain people, especially with, with nutrition. I think I look at where I am now and the football I'm playing at the moment, I feel like it's, it's, it's the best I've been in, in, a, in a long while. And I think a lot of, a lot of that is down to, to obviously confidence and, and whatnot. But I think nutrition has played a massive part. And I think, you know, I've, I've been really strict on that and, you know, looked after myself and, and had good advice from, of, of course, like you said, my, my nutritionist that, that's here at the club. And I think listening to that that advice is, is so important because I think, of course, when you're young and, you know, people try and give you advice, you kind of bat it off and, and think you know best. We've all, we've all been there. But I think, you know, I, I learned to take advice and, and listen to it and, and, tr- and try to do it. And I think I've done that. And, I, and like I said, I feel like I'm paying the benefits for it now and, you know, yeah, that's probably my most important thing to say is just to listen to the advice that people are giving you. I know sometimes it's hard not to because we always think we know best, but I think it's important to do that. And like I said, for me, it's kept me on the right track and I'm feeling the benefits from it. 
James, it was brilliant when Luke mentioned about getting away with things when he was younger because he had this like smirk on his face when I was chatting to him. Have you seen that in your experience working with professional players? Yes, I, I definitely have. A lot of younger guys, when they first become professional, of course, they can get away with more. Their bodies are very different. They're still growing, so they can eat lots more food. They can have a lot more of those treats. And I think a lot of it is maturity. At that early age, they're not quite really um, fully versed on the role of nutrition in their performance. But certainly as players get into their 30s, mid-30s, and even late 30s, all of a sudden they would knock on the nutritionist's door a lot more frequently and they're much more receptive to receiving advice and, and changing their practices. So again, I think look, looking back at his younger self would probably want to get more advice at an earlier age and maybe some of our listeners listening today if they are younger players hopefully they will take some of those messages away Charlie. Luke mentions about having the same pre-match routine are players generally superstitious I feel like they are and I feel like any sports person is and what are the key rules for the pre-match meal? Yeah I think a lot of athletes actually are superstitious not just footballers. I think loads of people are. Yeah, certainly when it comes to the pre-match meal, there probably is a good reason to be superstitious because it it is a very simple meal to get correct. It's just literally high carbohydrate, low fiber foods, consuming about three hours before kickoff. And once you've settled on a meal that works for you, there probably is no need to change it really. But the golden rule is about topping up the muscle glycogen stores, of course, which you've already done from match day minus one. But the purpose of the pre-match meal is specifically liver glycogen stores because our liver also controls and, and holds glycogen. So it's very, very important that you start the match with high muscle glycogen, but also high liver glycogen. So what's that look like in terms of a meal? Well, some players like to really keep it simple and, and have things like cereal and toast. So almost like a breakfast type meal. Other players would keep it quite plain in terms of chicken and pasta or chicken and rice. Um Some players, I think Harry mentioned, he would have lasagna as an example as a pre-match meal. But as long as it hits those carbohydrate targets and it is low fibre and it doesn't cause you gastrointestinal problems during the match, then if it works for you, it works for you, Charlie. I'd like to talk a bit about hydration, James, because I'm really big on hydration and I really notice a difference. How important is it before the game for a footballer? And what's your take in terms of the difference it can make in performance? Well, look, we've we've known for many, many years that starting any form of exercise dehydrated isn't good for performance and especially for football. In fact, just to put it into context, a, a professional player on average could lose between 0.5 and 2 litres of fluid per match because um, they're effectively sweating out that fluid. And what happens is when you when you sweat like that, then all of a sudden your heart rate rises, so you have to work a lot harder to run at the same speeds. Your decision-making can go down, so you start to make bad decisions. Your ability to sprint, to pass a ball, to dribble, all of these things can collectively impair your performance. So it's crucial that players start the game hydrated, and it's also crucial that players then consume fluid during the game to prevent excessive dehydration. And if you want to throw a number out there, I would say as a general rule of thumb, at least 500 milliliters of fluid per hour. But of course, this has to be practiced in training. It has to be refined for each individual player. And if you're playing in a hot condition, then of course you would need more fluid. 
And if you're playing in, in a colder environmental condition, then you, would, you wouldn't need as much fluid. But still drink, because I think that's a big problem, isn't it? When it's colder, people just don't drink. Still drink. And a, a lot of people forget to drink and they, they leave it to when they're overly thirsty. And perhaps the damage has already been done by them. So it's important to have a planned drinking strategy. The same way that you consume your fuel and you practice consuming your fuel, we should do the same for hydrating as well. So what about half time? How important is fueling? What should we now be doing? And is it the same for Sunday league and grassroots footballers? Because I'm sure we see a lot of packet of Haribos around. Yeah, no, it, I mean, looks right. The, the fueling strategies at half time have become more sophisticated over the years. And, and the golden rules are we should be aiming for between 30 to 60 grams of carbohydrates per hour. Now, if you imagine that a football match, when you include, let's say, a 20 or 30 minute warm up, it is actually two hours worth of exercise. So it is like an endurance event. And so in that regard, that 30 to 60 grams per hour actually equates to an overall dose of about 60 to 120 grams. The way that I would recommend that is that you consume some fuel at the start of the warm-up, you consume some at the start of the game, and then you consume more at half-time, probably around 40 grams at half-time. That could be like a carbohydrate gel. It could be um, half a bottle of a sports drink. It could almost be those high carbohydrate type foods that look mentioned in the olden days. It was things like Haribo's and Jaffa cakes, but now it's much more functional fuel. It's easier to digest. Thanks, James. Let's head over to Lee because it's really great to get a point of view from a player that's a little bit older and towards the end of his career. So Lee, you've been a professional for over 20 years at different levels of the game. It'd be great to hear from you in terms of the evolution over that time from a sports science and nutrition sense. Yeah, well, of course, the game's moved on um, leaps and bounds from um, when I was a young pup coming through. And actually, just in terms of a knowledge around the subjects itself, there was very little um, emphasis put on that side of things as a young player. Um, But very quickly, as I sort of made it into the professional ranks that became more of a serious topic um, and certainly clubs um, the majority of clubs that I played for have really especially as I've gotten older of course played um, a lot more attention to to that side of, uh, of the game and really value its importance. Personally what have you felt the difference in the way you play and also feel? Well I know that if I don't eat correctly or I don't do the right things away from the football club it can have an impact. I gen—I genuinely do feel that. And, um, you know, I can notice those changes in my body quite quickly. So um, I've always been very keen to um, try to, where possible, do the right things. That doesn't make me immune to the odd vice in terms of, um, you know, sugary things. But, um, yeah, certainly um, for me on a personal level, you know, I've certainly valued it in my career. What do you notice? You said, I can feel the difference some of, I think some of the things I probably noticed could even be um, like a subconscious type situation where if I've had a McDonald's at the weekend or if I've had a McDonald's the night before that that following morning I could be um, I could be a bit worrisome about my performance let's say um, but yeah I think if if I don't eat correctly um, or I eat at the wrong times or there's things in in my diet that I'm eating consistently that I, aren't necessarily helpful I usually find that that sort of presents itself as like a sluggishness or um, a lack of energy and I always feel that when I'm eating correctly sleeping correctly um, those are the things that give me 
that energy and the fuel to to perform basically we talk a lot about match day right so how important in terms of training is nutrition well it's vital because um it's our job day to day and you know it's as it is now especially at a club like manchester united it's seven days a week and it's 24 7 so you have to be in a state physically to to be ready to perform and it's so vital rest recovery is obviously a huge part of that but what you're putting into your body to give yourself the best chance of being ready the following morning is is really crucial um and i've as i say i've always valued valued that and i, I kind of see it as that type of process as fuel uh, i think that's probably something that i picked up earlier on in my career from perhaps some of the talks we've had um as I say, around the subjects, um, we had some good people at one of my first clubs, Derby County, and then later on in my career, Burnley, and of course, at a club like Manchester United, with the resources they have, um, they really drill that stuff home. So yeah, I really view it as that fuel, um, and that's vital, as I say, when it's your it's your job and you're living it 24-7. Mm, yeah, because I think in the past, it's been seen as like a side thing hasn't it but it seems to me that's such a significant change that it's now the heart of it do you think that's a lot to do with people's attitudes yeah and I mean a lot of managers are really placing great value on that now as well and I mean Sean Dyche was was one of my managers at Burnley who used to he used to really be quite strong on 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 various aspects of our diet nutrition um, our fueling options and to the point where we would be we'd be tested every morning for our hydration levels. So we're all peeing in little pots every morning. But he wanted us to be fueled, hydrated, ready to train because he knows that if you're not, if you'll get if you're rolling out of bed and you know you're driving an hour into work and you've not touched a sip of water before you put your lacy boots on and then you're running around the pitch for an hour, it can it can be detrimental. And whether that's two percent or twenty percent, it's um it's still important. So um yeah, certainly that awareness has grown. Um and obviously managers now, as I say, are putting much more importance on that. What does a typical training day look like for you? Do you do like double sessions? Once the season's kicked off, very rarely. Double sessions are a thing that are usually around in pre-season. We all dread them as um, as professional sportsmen. It's like that horrible lull after after lunch um, and getting going again is never easy, especially when you're my age. Um, but it's a session could look like prehab in the morning which could be anything from small agility exercises to stretching to basic strength and conditioning or to basic um, warm-up routines that's usually half past 10 till 11 half an hour of that usually inside depending on the weather um, and then we're out on the grass for the fun stuff and that's um, that takes us for a couple of hours and then it's back in the gym usually for um, round two which is usually the sort of targeted strength and conditioning work um, or depending on what's going on in your game career at that moment or whatever it may be um, it could be some you know extra work sprint work whatever it is so yeah it's um, it's fun it's intense um, it's obviously taxing so there's you know it's three or four hours of physical output so yeah we obviously have to be mindful that we're doing the right things to make sure we're ready to do that you I was actually going to ask you about the difference in strength training and then being on the grass in terms of fueling and nutrition is it any different well yeah absolutely because and also it's position specific right so I'm a goalkeeper 
thankfully, the sports science guys don't mind me being 1% more in terms of body fat because my position needs it. So I can get away with maybe a few more jelly babies than um, a Marcus Rashford, for example. Not that Marcus Rashford's got an ounce of fat on him, um, but it's, um, you know, obviously it's everything's very, very specific. A club like Manchester United, they do an unbelievable job of having everything really geared up for the individual. And we have individual strength and conditioning programs. We have individual development programs on the grass as well. But in terms of how I view the, the two, I, I think what we're doing physically and what we're doing on the grass, they really complement each other and they go hand in hand. And as I say, I think as the game's involved as well, most managers place place great importance on that side of things as well. It's important to be able to perform physically um, the way the game is now, the way the game has moved on in the last five years in particular with the high speed running, um, the distance covered, it's, you know, it's crucial. So uh, yeah, to be able to do that and to really sort of hone in on that gym-based stuff, it's obviously a vital cog in what we do here. You mentioned obviously you're a goalkeeper, which you are. How much does that differ in terms of training and nutrition? Because you said you're allowed to carry maybe a little one tiny percent more um, because you're not (laughs) than an outfield player. How much does that differ in terms of nutrition and also in training? Well, our training is very, very different. It's very specific to our position. So we are more power-based athletes um, rather than a centre midfielder like Scott McTominay, for example, who is extremely powerful, don't get me wrong, but he has to also maintain a level of endurance as well to to be able to fulfil his role adequately. So, um, yeah, obviously the training has to be tailored towards that. Ours is the same. We work a lot over very short distances, um, anaerobically explosive movements because that's what we expect to perform on a on a Saturday or Sunday as it is usually so that's what we train for so yeah our training looks a great deal different to usually to what the outfield guys are doing but then of course there are times where we have to merge and come together which is always interesting um, the main difference obviously being where we're using our hands and getting the ball smashed in our face and everywhere else. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's it's different. It's fun. It's what we love doing. But it's, um, as I say, very, very different, you know, almost polar opposites. You can almost, you know, call it, you know, a different sport in terms of um, how, we, how we go about our work day to day. Yeah, it's interesting because it's almost like you're a completely different type of athlete. For yourself, I always find the psychology and mindset around any sport really interesting as well. And for yourself and for players that aren't always on that, that starting 11, how do you keep yourself motivated? Cause I know I've spoken to people in the past and it's, mm. it's hard. It's hard watching and being on the bench. It is tough. It is tough. And um, it's always something that's, it's very individual. So each individual will, will deal with or, or cope with, have coping mechanisms for these things differently. It's probably different for me now than it would have been three years ago, for example, because I'm in a different place in terms of my career um, and where I'm heading. Um, and also it, it will differ from, depending on your situation, on your club situation. So a young player, for example, who's been used to playing, finding himself out of the team, will obviously feel very different than an older player who has, such as myself, been on in a non-starting role for a longer period of time it's, it's just you know complete opposite mindset 
But, you know, the, the reality is, and you're really right, it's a great point that if you're a professional athlete, there's a certain degree of um, pride and ego that comes along with being a professional athlete. And um, I've said this to people on numerous occasions. Me, for example, it doesn't matter how old I get or um, how long I haven't played for or whatever. I absolutely uh, detest not playing because the truth is that's what we that's what we train for. But you have to, as I say, you have to understand situations and you have to understand your role within a football club. And we all have our roles to play. As I say, I think that some of that maturity can come with age and that's fine. Um, I certainly wouldn't be sitting here as relaxed or, or talking in that fashion if I was you know, five years younger or 10 years younger. It would be, it'd be a very different conversation. But um, yeah, it's never easy because, um, as I say, it's, it's what we strive for. And any athlete who's worth his salt will always have that edge and have that drive and will carry that probably until the moment they decide, you know, enough's enough. It's who you are as well, isn't it, as a person? Yeah. If you're yeah. an athlete from a young age, you're always going to have that competitive edge, I think. Well, 100%. 100%. That never leaves you. And in fact, probably if you noticed it has, then you probably outstayed your welcome. So that's something um, I have to be mindful of because I'm in that sort of position now I'm 38 so you know lots of people that I was playing with were have already retired I'm managing a coaching uh, our agents are one of my good friends is Dan Fletcher he's the um we played together at Stoke we played together at Stoke about three or four years ago he's now my director of football at the club I'm at so it shows you it shows you the how how sort of these journeys can merge and be very different um but as I say I'm, I'm enjoying the run so uh you know we'll keep going until someone tells me otherwise you have had a, lot, a long career. How important is the role of coaching and sports science then in the fact that you're still playing now and in promoting that long career? Yeah, luck as well. Don't forget luck. Luck's hugely important for, Do you think? Uh, for athlete. Yeah, in terms of injury? Yeah, 100%. So I've had some injuries, but somehow I managed to have them at the right time or I managed to have them where they've not really hampered me long term. So they're things that I've been able to, um, my body's been able to learn to deal with or, or, or work out a new way of, of of dealing with this particular injury. So I'll just slightly change the technique or I'll, I'll cope with this in, a, in this way. So I've been quite lucky in that sense, but absolutely I feel as though the work that I've done from a physical point of view that's kept me in a good position always physically combined with doing the right things more often than not from a physical and a nutritional side of things, that has stood me in very good stead, yeah. I want to ask you as well, because I asked Harry this, what advice would you give then to a younger player, an upcoming player, but also maybe just to, you know, somebody league player or somebody that's really passionate about playing football? Well, to somebody who's got aspirations to be in the professional game um, and is perhaps young, 15, 16, um, try and enjoy it as much as possible. I wouldn't be placing too much, um, you know, if they're, I've never been that guy that's tried to make myself suffer for the cause. It's like, you know, these things should be enjoyable. So, you know, you have to have a life, but at the same time, if you, if you're serious about doing things to a really high, high level and trying to reach an elite standard, then there are certain sacrifices that have to be made and those sacrifices, the earlier you can get your head around them, um, and that might be, you know, not going out partying or 
going out and partying but perhaps being the designated driver or it's uh it's one drink instead of 21 so <laughs> it's uh there's all types of things that you, we have to sort of um deal with as, as youngsters and those sacrifices the earlier you can realize that they are going to be needed to reach where you want to go that's you know that's critical that's usually the difference between the, the ones that do and the ones that don't and then for your sunday league lad keep doing what you're doing if if that's your bag and um you're that part-time guy having a kick around with your mates it's nothing to do with anything other than having fun um and simply playing football yourself is um is enough enough to keep you fit and active and healthy so i, I would you know i wouldn't place too great a pressure on them but um yeah anybody with aspirations to really go and do it to an elite level information and, and knowledge and understanding that's probably one of the things as well that i would say that's important to, to get a real good grasp of if they can have that again from a young age they'll start to make informed decisions themselves more often than not um, and that'll be very good for them Lee was brilliant there, wasn't he? It's so good to hear from somebody who's had such a long span in the game and is so experienced. He also mentioned the role of coach and manager. How important is that, James, in setting the culture around nutrition? Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely critical because, it, look, in many sporting organisations, the culture is a top-down approach. And and Lee was very adamant in, in discussing that. I mean, I've been fortunate in my own career to work with some great coaches, people like Brendan Rodgers, Sir Dave Brailsford, and, and those guys really did set the culture. They, they were ambassadors for nutrition, and those messages just trickled down across the whole organisations. So he's absolutely right that managers and coaches can create the culture, but at the same regard, the players themselves create the culture. We heard from Harry Maguire and his role as a captain in creating the culture, and it only takes one or two vocal people to create a culture. So I think, actually, lots of our listeners could take messages there away, Charlie, because we can all create culture through our own actions. We're all influencers in our own right, aren't we? <laughs> that was my bit of philosophy. I know you've worked with goalkeepers in the past. What's the biggest difference between goalkeepers and outfield players, other than maybe the obvious one? Do they need less calories? I suppose that's what I was talking to Lee about. And are their bodies different? Well, I guess it really depends on the club and the club's approach to training philosophy. What I would say is I've done some studies in this area, again, going back to the Liverpool players, a few years ago, we were the first research group to directly measure the energy expenditure of professional players in the Premier League. And the outfield players at Liverpool back then were expending, on average, around 3,500 calories per day, whereas the goalkeepers were less than 3,000 calories per day. And that was primarily because, of course, they don't do the same absolute workload. They don't cover the same ground. And so, therefore, from a nutritional perspective, it's very likely that they wouldn't need the same amount of fuel, especially carbohydrate. Having said that, I think the old school approach was the goalkeepers were taller, heavier, carried more body fat. I think the game's changing, Charlie. I think goalkeepers now are becoming a lot more professional, a lot more tuned into their bodies. And, and actually, I think Lee was a great example of someone who really, really communicated that message. Yeah, you see the difference in their size actually now, don't you? They're a lot leaner. A lot leaner, a lot more athletic, a lot more agile, um, a lot more educated, I think. So do you see sports science playing more of a role in prolonging a player's career? Because Lee did mention about his age. Definitely, definitely. And, and I don't think this just relates to footballers, Charlie. I think this is across sport. You've only got to look at some of the world's greatest athletes. Roger Federer, um, Tom Brady, Chris Froome's about to ride another Tour de France at 35 years old. 
Bernard Hopkins, the boxer that you and I, we, we love boxing. Bernard Hopkins won a world title at 48 years old. It's ludicrous. It made me think also of Joe Pavey. Yes, yeah. There's... The long distance runner. She's like, I think, 47 now. The list is growing, Charlie, and it's because of the role of sports science and especially nutrition. Nutrition and sleep and rest and recovery are all allowing athletes to perform better for longer. And it's great to see long may it continue. I want to pick up on the balance between having a life and making sacrifices. I always find this very interesting. It's not enough, I think, that we hear about. What's your thoughts on this? I thought that was a super interesting point. Um, in, in my own university in Liverpool, John Moores, I've worked with some guys that work on career transitions and when athletes retire. And I think Lee made a great point that, look, it's it's very unlikely that people who get to the top haven't made sacrifices at some point. And I think you just have to accept that. But what what he did say was that you have to strike a balance and you have to have a life as well. And I think anyone who's listening to this episode, athlete or not, could probably relate to the fact that it can be dangerous to define your identity by what you do. I mean, you're a broadcaster, a journalist, I'm an academic, a sports scientist, but it's that's not who we are. It's just what we do. And I think athletes in particular define themselves by what they do. They're a footballer, they're a boxer, they're a cyclist, but it isn't, it's just a job. And so when they retire, they really, really struggle with that transition. And Lee, Lee seemed to me to be someone who was who was just totally balanced and, and accepted that it was a job, but it didn't define him. He had a life outside of sport. And anyone listening to this podcast, whether you're a CEO in business, whether you're a mum or a dad, whatever you do, I think that was a real nice, simple message to remind yourselves that your job doesn't define who you are as a person. I think it's really important in terms of a healthy mental health. I spoke to so many athletes where they were only seen and saw themselves as that athlete, which meant that their own self-worth was completely defined on what they achieved. And then that can be really dangerous territory for mental health. And I agree with you, I think completely for anyone. One of the things I've heard so much for a healthy mental health is to be able to to look elsewhere, to have other things that are going on and not completely define who you are on your work that you do or your achievements around them. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, Charlie. I, I really couldn't agree more. And I think I think a lot more athletes will be accepting that as they progress through their career. And I think sports science and the role of psychology and so on and player welfare is becoming more and more advanced. And, and we're starting to teach academy players these messages as they're coming through 14, 15 year olds, plan for life after sport. Thanks so much, James. You made a great expert. <laughs> That's why you're a professor and you get the big books. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Make sure to check out Science in Sport across socials. That's at Science in Sport while you're waiting for the next episode. And please do leave a review. We really appreciate it and love hearing from you. See you next time. <laughs>